and we are back finally. We took a couple, like what, two weeks off? Something like that. Your mic doesn't like the uh, doesn't like the beer cans either. Well, it must be it, a, it must be a Discord thing. It picked it up in my headphones the way I record this, so it works. Well, there you go, Ninja. Yeah, little hiatus. We're on. Uh, well, I'm in like full on fall band mode, and our guest kind of is too a little bit in right. a different sense. But yeah, everybody is right now. I mean, I feel like thinking back for the few years we've been doing this, it feels like every October we kind of just people get busy, guests get busy, Evan and I get busy. It just happens, you know. It's the circle of life the way this this activity cycles through so it's definitely the to... nature of uh, our network of friends who all like work in the fall pretty heavily with <laughs> bands and yeah, we work yeah. and with bands and stuff so. yep so let's not uh, draw this out welcome everyone to the aged out podcast i'm one of your hosts mike fantini and with me as always is evan Worrell. and before evan introduces today's guest Hit subscribe on that YouTube channel if you're watching on YouTube. Drop a comment. Let us know what you think about anything we've said here. You know, we always welcome criticism, compliments, whatever you want to let us know. Uh, check out social media, Instagram, Facebook. It's all just Aged Out Podcast. Never miss an update. Uh, hit us up on patreon.com slash agedoutpodcast if you want to support us financially at all. There, there's a $1 a month tier if you want to do it, if that's all you can do. And if you can't do anything, you support us by simply listening. So we still appreciate you no matter what you're able to do or want to do. So lastly, hit check out lonestarpercussion.com. Use the discount code agedout to save yourself $10 on any order of $50 or more. Uh, everybody wins in that deal. So I think I got it all. Patreon, social media. Oh, other subscribe on podcast services too. blah, blah, blah. All right, cool. Evan, you want to go? Sure, sure. So our guest today joining us um, kind of found us through a reaction video that we started doing early on this summer, which is awesome because it just helps us get in touch with new people. Reached out, said he'd be down to uh, join us and talk about the group, talk about his some of his winter group stuff too. Uh, so without further ado, welcome Mr. Uh, ben Piles. What's up, man? Hey, what's up? Thanks for having I guess me on, I guys. I guess I should ask you if you like Ben or Benjamin, but I didn't. We'll go with ben. It's a little All shorter. Right. So, Even yeah, man. Uh, ben uh, saw our reaction video to Mandarins, which he is the percussion caption manager and battery designer for, and was like, hey, man, saw the video, uh, which is what we want. We want the content out there to get uh, to get out what the kids are doing, what the arrangers are doing and putting down just so it gets into more eyes and more ears. I think the exposure is great for the activity. And then, of course, for some reason, some people care uh, to listen to what we have to say, which is awesome, too. So, yeah, man, thanks for uh, sending out the message and just linking up and uh, being willing to, to come on with us. Yeah, no, man, and thanks for doing that. I know last year especially was pretty pretty strange for everybody, just the lack of exposure with, you know, limited shows and, you know, not able to get necessarily our typical lock crowd out. So we were, we were pushing you know, just even within the group, just try to get more content out, even if it's early stuff, maybe it's not a perfect rep, but just get eyes on the performers and make sure that their, their summer was worth it. So, uh, yeah, thanks again for that reaction. That was cool. For sure. For sure. Uh, obviously we'll get into a lot of the stuff you do with the Monarch and, uh, Mandarins out there, but take us a little bit through a brief synopsis of your kind of like how you got into percussion. I know you said you grew up in PA. Now you're currently living in Texas. Kind of take us through the the segue pathway moment from pathway moment. Cool. Uh, grew up in a musical family. Um, my dad actually has like every uh, PBS broadcast from you know all the way to like 1986 on on until that used to happen. So just kind of grew up following the activity as a kid and 
my big brother was, you know, in the marching band. He was a drum major. So, of course, you know, I followed suit and everything he did. He played basketball, so I played basketball. He does the band. I did the band. And uh, just kind of fell in love. Actually, you know, the funny story is I wanted to play trumpet when I was a kid, but my teeth were too messed up. Uh, so they, you know, they're like, you know, maybe wind instrument isn't going to work out for you. So I kind of lucked out in that regard, looking back and, um, you know, pick percussion as my secondary instrument. And, you know, obviously that that's working out okay. But um, yeah, I grew up in Monroeville, Pennsylvania, which is kind of a suburb of Pittsburgh. Um, family's still all back there. Uh, did the whole high school marching band, attended IEP, um, which is kind of a a bigger kind of drum corps, a lot of drum corps presence between, you know, Paul Rennix, Chad Heines, Chris Heston. There's a lot of people that kind of influenced uh, my decision to get involved with the marching activity. Um, got an opportunity to teach out in Houston through somebody I marched drum corps with. Um, moved out to Texas, the high school band director, uh, percussion director for uh, five years out there. Uh, which, you know, ultimately led to where I'm at at UTSA now as uh, the athletic percussion director. Um, as far as marching experience, um, I did uh, kind of half my time in the front ensemble, half my time in the battery, which um, the more I'm finding out is fairly unique. A lot of people don't know that, you know, I was a percussion major. I was in the front ensemble. I do know how to play keyboards and all that stuff, but um, spent two years with the Glassman Drum and Bugle Corps. Uh, I was there in 2003 uh, through 2005. Um, my last year at the Glassman, I was actually I moved into the battery. So I marched in the front ensemble and the battery at Glassman, uh, which was pretty cool. Uh, aged out of the Bluecoats. I was on a, the tenor line in 2008. And that was my age out year there. Um, so I think I've said I played tenors in that group. Uh, immediately following that, I got asked to kind of follow that staff. A lot of them went to the Crossmen, so I was a quad tech for the uh, Crossmen for two years. Um, followed some more of my staff to Spirit of Atlanta. I was the Spirit of Atlanta for five years following that. Uh, started as the battery coordinator, and that was actually my first opportunity to be a caption head and, and design kind of on the, you know, the big platform, if you would, for the first time there, um, which kind of led to me taking over the Monarch gig, which is kind of a story in itself. Um, and then uh, after Spirit, I was the caption head and designer for the Colts Drum and Bugle Corps. I took that gig over for three years. Uh, and then most recently, that kind of led to the opportunity um, with the Mandarin. So um, I think in a nutshell, it's kind of the quick synopsis of kind of yeah. the teaching and marching. So I'll backtrack real quick on one thing. For uh, the years you were at Bluecoats, you said you were at Glassman till 05. So did you go to Bluecoats 06, 07, age out in 08? No, I actually took 06, 07 off. That was kind of, you know, transition going into college, saving some money. Um, I thought I was actually kind of done since the Glassman staff had transitioned. And um, that team, that's when Rob Ferguson kind of started taking over. I know Rob well now, but didn't at the time. So it was kind of like, well, all right, I don't really want to go anywhere else. And, you know, kind of starting school. Uh, and then my roommate at the time had just marched uh, Coates in 07. Uh, he's like, just come out, see what happens. You know, worst case you get cut, best case you get to march. So obviously ended up working out and marched just to 08 uh, Blue Coats line. A legendary line with uh, many friends of ours, uh, Brian Beyer, although there's many stories from when he did march. Uh, <laughs> oh, ice cream. We, we, lo we love Brian. Um, Chris, and then just several other people from there. Zach, uh, oh gosh, I'm blanking on his last name. Zach Bernard. From Colorado, yeah, Bernard. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, 
several, several people from really those 05 to 08 years that all now teach slash design slash write and arrange. I mean, Mike McIntosh left a, an imprint on the percussive community from those 05 to 08 years at Blue oh, Coast yeah. for people who still do stuff. 100%. I'd like to actually touch on for a second. You said you were in the front and the battery throughout your drum corps career. I feel like that is something like you mentioned it when you first said it is very unique. Like I can't think of really anyone that I know from the time that like I was marching around the 2010, 11, 12 era. What Evan? I say, come on. I, I was going to say, I thought you were going to say you didn't know of anyone who else has done that, but I was going to be like, come on, dude. No, like I, who, I can't think of anyone that like, I feel like that's not a common thing nowadays, at least. Am I just being naive and dumb there? Like I just, I've, I, who do we know? Evan, who do we know besides Ben? Uh, that... Dude, um, it's a caption head at BK now who played keyboard for Cavies and bass drum at Phantom. Um, Derek Shannon. Derek Shannon. Um, didn't uh, Andrew Marquez play keyboard and then also was a center snare or something like that? <laughs> Maybe I mixed, mixed that one up, but I know he was at Glassman, then he was at Cavies, but I feel like he played keyboard somewhere. Anyway, well, that's, Derek that's is all before, That's all before that time period, though. I'm talking about current, like in the modern like last 10 years. I feel like it's just become very rare, very rare, if at all happening. People, I feel like, I like know. I'm a marimba player. Now, I know people move around within the front, depending on where they want to end up, marimba vibes, rack, drum set, whatever. But, uh, like, to go, I, I don't know. Am I, Ben, as somebody that teaches the activity, is that something you see a lot, or is that kind of something from the, from the past year, decades of drum corps? Yeah, I mean, within my groups specifically, I, I don't want to assume anything outside of just my experience, but, you know, we don't see that necessarily a lot. Uh, I kind of lucked into that opportunity, if you would. We had um, Chris Heston, who kind of still like a second father figure for me, uh, mm -hmm. taught me all the way through, um, you know, eighth grade through high school and was at Glassman. And they had an injury. I think their bottom bass drummer went down, um, you know, either at move-ins or at a camp or whatever. So I kind of lucked into an opportunity where there was an opening um, within the front ensemble that was more like a multi-percussion rack setup that had some limited keyboard stuff. And I mean, I was literally learning my C major scale at Glassman movements. Like, I wow. don't know, you put me in front of a, a keyboard, it's like, dude, I, I can hit things in time. And, you know, I had some some decent chops as a high schooler. But, uh, but yeah, I, I kind of lucked into that opportunity, which then, you know, led me to be able to learn and develop the keyboard technique uh, at my own pace. And then, you know, the next season, you know, I go up to Chris. Hey, Chris, I'm going to try for the drum line this year. He's like, yeah, no, probably not ready. You know, why don't you do another year in the front? Um, so then, you know, got more keyboard opportunities that second year and ended up playing, you know, some vibraphone. And, again, just kind of developing the ear and the chops and the technique and the approach. See how that, that you know, that, those rehearsals are just such a different, um, you know, experience from the battery stuff. So, mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I think I lucked into it. I'm really fortunate now. I didn't want to do it at the time. <laughs> you know, as a young kid, I, I want to play snare drum and, or whatever it was. But uh, yeah, I, I think it's pretty uncommon. I, I don't know. I don't want to consider myself like a unicorn or anything. But uh, yeah, I would so say it's almost the nature of the activity these days because the uh, competition level is um, so high. The positions become, yeah, so fierce and like the skill set is so high. You almost have to dedicate a pretty good amount of time honing one craft um yeah not to say that people don't obviously there's a ton of percussion majors that do all of it all encompassing stuff um but so, yeah. you 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 dropped a funny one-liner in there that just we talked about kind of before we started 
in the front ensemble developing the ear for like keyboard and stuff like that, which is not unique to you, but it's unique to us. Uh, Mike and I and probably some others, you, you told us that you were deaf in your right ear or had a, um, couldn't hear out of your right side of your ear, right? Yeah. So I feel like, and then translating that into like standing in the middle of a vibraphone line or front ensemble, or then later obviously standing in a quad line, you only ever knew that. But like, to me, it's like, man, like, what an interesting perspective to like, if you had somebody playing on your right side, the audio that you're picking up would be different, I guess, but unique to unique to us, but just the same to you. I feel like that would be a, a wild challenge to overcome, but obviously didn't really hinder you at all. Yeah, pretty funny story real quick. Um, we were talking about the 08 line being so competitive and you know, I kind of got the last spot on that quad line and I knew it was cutthroat, you know, just doing everything I could to get on that line. Well, long story short, um, I'm on the line, we're at move-ins. There's a spot in the show where we're spread out really far. Um, I'm on, of course, the complete worst side for me possible. I'm on the far left side of the line. Uh, we're like five yards spread. We've got this entrance from the back sideline kind of coming back out of the, the bout or whatever it was. And, I still remember kind of short story. Um, you know, Ray Uliberry was one of the caption heads at the time, come up to me, you know, Paz, what are you doing? He's like, can't you hear anything? I was like, no, I, I, I can't hear it. You know, of course, that's not really the reaction you're used to or want to give a staff <laughs> member in drum corps. And uh, again, conversation goes on and I end up telling him, you know, Ray, I, I'm deaf in my right ear. He's like, well, why didn't you tell me that earlier? I was like, well, you probably would have cut me off the line. He's like, yeah, you're probably right. He's like, all right, whatever, we'll figure it out. But long story short, again, they end up cutting that part of the show, and I don't know if I took a cool moment out or whatever, but yeah, that that didn't happen. I just could not enter in time. I mean, understand. Like, just, just give me the duts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let me let me watch the hands and, and count it off for us. That's uh, that's that's funny. You didn't tell them during the audition process. I would. Oh, of course not. No, no I wouldn't have either. If it didn't affect anything, I wouldn't have said anything until after the fact. Yeah, I think we all find ways to, you know, it's it's not, I don't know, maybe it is, but it's, it doesn't, to me, feel like a significant issue on a daily basis. Like, I don't think about it. When you guys brought it up, I was like, oh, yeah, I, that's something I, I deal with. You know, I just, we kind of get accustomed to, you know, what our strengths and weaknesses are and, and find ways around that. But, yeah, you know, I, sure. I, I have found over time that I use different senses a little bit more, the way I teach and the way that, you know, I, I used to watch really intensely. Um, you know, I have a lot of Japanese students. I kind of compare it to that, where they can't really understand what I'm saying all the time. So they're, you know, they're picking up on smaller cues, you know, the way that we demonstrate or, you know, the way that they watch other reps to figure out what's going on. You know, I think we all inherently find the ways that work for us. And it didn't really become a problem for me. Um, that was just kind of one specific example, really maybe the only one I could think of. So, I taught a couple of Japanese kids uh, one winter, and it was very fascinating to me just how much eye contact they would give you which is really cool but because they they don't understand everything you're saying or sometimes nothing that you're saying so they're just like watching your hand motions or like demonstrating things and they're just like so transfixed on your your hands and like what you're doing is it was really cool but they learned super fast those two kids did at least they learned really fast but yep i don't know if we want to go down that path but uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I agree. And thank, uh, 
thank goodness for Google Translate. It was clutch. <laughs> Super clutch. I used to have a cheat sheet in my binder with all of the terms that I needed to say. Just kind of had that in front of me all the time. So. Open the rhythms. <laughs> close, <laughs> close the rhythms. <laughs> yeah, you, you learn the more you say, the more confused they get. So I, I don't know if in a way it kind of made me, you know, a better teacher. You know, if I can get that student to understand, you know, the 90% of English speaking students would, would probably be able to do so as well. So, uh, yeah, so a lot of great experiences with those guys. I, yeah, I think that whole, that mantra of just like less can be more when teaching really holds true, whether they're English speaking students or foreign language students, like. I mean, you can ease, I know, like, Evan will attest to this, like, I can talk too much sometimes, like, my girlfriend will say the same thing, whatever, but you can definitely talk yourself into confusing the person way more if you try to overcomplicate it. If you try to get too into the nitty-gritty of what you're trying to explain, you can make things way worse sometimes. Oh, yeah. Well, and I'm sure, too, with the the level, the caliber of player that you have at your ensembles, like, they're good kids. Like they made the groups because they have certain skills already. And mm -hmm. you're just trying to really like hone that in and lock it in with each other. It's like, you don't always need to uh, overcomplicate things. Sometimes it's like, just do it again. And they're very intuitive. They'll figure it out. Just tell them like, Hey, listen for this part. Oh yeah. I heard it. Got it. All right. Sweet. All right. Good. Let's move on. Let's keep going. <laughs> exactly. So post blue coats, uh, you, you mentioned you went into the kind of the teaching, following some people around, um, I think you said Crossman Spirit, then Colts, then so you followed a bunch of Blue Coats staff or like f people you knew, I guess, to Crossman and then Spirit, and then was Chris at Spirit at the time when you were there? Yeah, he sure was. Okay. He was there for the first, I think, three years um, while I was there. And was that when Chris was there too, Chris Gary? Yeah, so I actually got to hire that staff. So um, Chris oh, and nice. I got along really well in '08. So he was one of the first people I called. Um, Mike Medeo, he was he was there as well. Uh, we ended up getting Drake Melson, who was out there. So it, you know, that that ends up being a lot of you know, okay, who do I know? Who do I trust in that situation? Especially being so young at the time. Yeah, you know, I called a lot of those guys. Did it feel like a daunting task? Like, oh my gosh, I have to do this right and not mess this up. Yeah, and I I think that's you know the pressure when it's put on you properly. I, I think that's. Uh, that's healthy and I felt myself grow every summer and, and really just kind of step up to the challenge because you were mentioning it earlier not only do you get you know more talented students but that that brings inherent pressure as well right they're there to learn so you can't take a rip off you can't not you know give them some feedback um, that won't affect the you know the following rep so just understanding that you know how to stay in the moment how to continually um, challenge that upper level uh, day after day. I mean, you can't come in and say the same stuff every day, even though you might have the same problems, you know, okay, how do I approach this differently? Uh, you know, there's got to be a different way. Uh, and that, again, yeah, it's, it brought pressure. But, you know, for me personally, I enjoyed that challenge, uh, became really addicting to me. So uh, I think that's part of the reason I'm still involved with it. So Very rewarding when it all like clicks and just like makes sense and things are happening and you get some momentum going. It's like, yeah, this is what it's supposed to feel like. Absolutely. You don't get that much else. You know, I, I haven't found it anywhere else. I'm sure there are things, but you know, to get that type of reward and, and feedback and just the relationships too, right? You get most of those people out there want to be there and typically motivated individuals. So, um, 
just really right. unique. I think that that's the most reason. Like we were talking, like when we were talking about uh, fall band before this. I think that's the reason that I do fall marching band and teach high school. Like it's not my regular gig. It's not my like full time gig working in the school system or. But it's just like my passion and stuff like that. So I stick around to it. But there is a reward, even though it's torturous sometimes on these long Saturdays <laughs> when you're like going from six a.m. to midnight. But to see like these kids and students do something that they never thought they could do or pull off something they never thought that they could do or to work with a staff that figures out how to get the most out of this kid and like teach them these life lessons. I'm just like, yeah, you thought you would never be able to play and move much less. Now you're two months later doing this choreography and this and that. So it's pretty rewarding in that sense. And I would say that's the reason that I torture myself with <laughs> lack of sleep in the <laughs> fall. So absolutely. So moving through uh, Spirit, and then you went to Colts. Was Colts your first like writing gig for, like a, uh, I would say, it's something maybe outside of high school on like a DCI or WGI level or something like that. I was actually involved a little bit. I started doing small moments um, for Spirit, um, and then my last season there at Spirit, I actually did design. Um, okay. And then, trying to think of the timeline now, it's been a little while, but the Monarch thing started in, in the same year. So I, I started writing for Spirit. Um, you know, the, the Monarch story is a little different than what the question you asked, so I'll, I'll wait for that. But um, I had written for Spirit and Monarch for a couple of years before I had gotten the Colts gig. Um, and there were a couple people that were with me at Spirit that had moved on to Colts, uh, where I kind of had a previous relationship um, as far as like a designer caption head. So uh, just a couple seasons, I was still pretty fresh into it, but Colts was probably my real first real opportunity where, you know, it was kind of hit the reset button. This is going to be my group, my identity, my style, my team, my writing. Uh, so yeah, I, I would say that's probably the first real good representation of, of, you know, what I was able to do. Awesome. You taught, uh, or Ollie or Oliver was on that staff, right? Yeah, so Ollie was actually one that we retained. There were a few, uh, you know, every time you take a gig somewhere, there's always talented people that were on the previous team. And, you know, sometimes that team picks up and goes elsewhere. Sometimes that team just kind of dissipates and, and stops. But Ollie was somebody who was interested. And, you know, we got such, uh, you know, good feedback on what he had done that previous year that we gave him a call and the fit felt right. And uh, he, he was with us for uh, all three years. So I was with the Colts. Love Oliver. Marched with him in 2010, and now he's getting his uh, got his gig down there at Tarpon Springs, just rocking it. So. Heck yeah, man! Yeah, I was actually just talking with him the other day, congratulating him on that. Uh, Ollie's great. Yeah, just a genuinely awesome person. Um, Absolutely. So you talked about like your identity as like a writer, like it's your gig, it's your it's your music, it's your staff, it's your team. Take us a little bit through, like when you're writing. Where does your inspiration come from? Like, are you doing a lot of research on like the source material and like trying to access that and somewhat hone that into the the percussive writing that you're doing? Or are you trying to like take it as a read and be like, all right, what do I feel here? Like, how does this make me feel? And how do I want to make the audience or the members feel in this moment? All right. Uh, this is my favorite part about what I get to do. I don't know how long I'm going to get to do this. So it, it's... You know, it's one of those things that I take really seriously and spend a lot of time uh, thinking about. I mean, there's there's only so many of these gigs, right? You don't you don't get to 
to write and design for this level very often. So, I mean, my process, what, what I really like, actually, I guess I should start before the process is, is things that are memorable. Um, um, I think my, my big hang up for, for some groups is it's just so hard to digest everything that's being presented on a first read. And this is actually something I'm learning more as I judge too, is like how much you can actually take in and um, what makes a group memorable versus, you know, something that's forgettable and sounds like everybody else. So the, the majority of my time when I'm writing or designing with a group is actually spent on um, trying to come up with the hook. What, what's going to keep this thing interesting? What makes this show feel like this show versus what makes the show have, you know, a bunch of, licks at 180 that you've heard a million times, um, you know, so uh, finding creative ways to, to create devices that are timekeeping and subtle like we need, but also things that would develop into a full section feature or, you know, make the wind book come, come alive. Uh, I think, you know, batteries specifically, we kind of decide what the show's going to feel like, um, not necessarily moods or harm, harmonic stuff, but um, like, you know, you take a battery book out and you hear the horn book, you know, is that a backbeat or is that, you know, a front side drive? We, we get kind of get to decide what those things are going to feel like from an energy side of things, um, which is exciting for me. So I spent a lot of time thinking about what we're trying to portray. What's the show going to look like? Those are questions I ask in our design meetings all the time. Like, okay, cool. It's this music, but what's happening here? You know, I could write a snare feature because you want a snare feature and they haven't played for 30 seconds. Or we could write a snare feature that's really specific, that, that has meaning and purpose um, and again, just what's the hook, what's the thing I want, you know, everybody to, to listen to or be humming or singing back or drum speaking on the way out of the show, whether they know what it is or not. So, right. um, yeah, that's definitely where I start. And I think that, um, a couple of those things that you said are what make me drawn towards certain groups over certain summers. Uh, it's not the same group every summer, but, but it's, who did something that you remember something that's just like, Oh, I hadn't seen that before. Um, like, obviously I'm very close to the crown organization. I marched there. A lot of my friends teach there, but then 2019 when they did the kind of like double decrescendo, like double stop stuff. And then like they did the drum feature where they played like the piano at like the 15 inch height. I was like, I don't remember people doing that, but I remember that. Was that the like hardest thing? It was probably hard in its own right, but I was like, I remember that. And like, there's certain groups that I remember certain things. Unlike just like you said, seeing somebody ram for whatever, it's like it sounds like a run-on sentence. Um, and the second part of what you said, um, being digestible as a fan, I don't always necessarily want to see or want to hear and listen to the thing that is a hemiola that happens over. 12 measures and i'm not really sure where time is like i i don't understand it at a first read so it's like hard it's like i can't appreciate it as much but if it's something that you know what they're doing and it's easy to access as a spectator and i would probably say as a judge you could be like oh i know exactly what that is i know how hard that is because i know what it is and i can give you very valuable feedback on that um so i think that those two things are pretty key um, and I, I really like that you said it, just being digestible and memorable. Yeah, I think that's the balance I'm trying to strike, too, is you know, some of the feedback I get, too, is that my groups just don't play enough or, you know, it's not necessarily they're not catching the hook. So everything doesn't necessarily make sense. But 
you know, I think that's just me, somebody who's trying to grow every year. And, you know, I'd, I'd like to think my stuff continues to evolve and, and find that, strike that perfect balance. But again, it's just, you know, I, I love sections that are, you know, inherently difficult. You watch it and part of the effect is like, oh my God, what was that? You know, like that's, that's something that you want. But when it's that all the time, it's, it's just a little hard. I, I like to watch lines and kind of transcribe it in my brain, like see the rhythms notating out, you know, like trying to really dive in and understand, you know, what's going on and what's difficult. Man, that probably took like five hours a day to clean, but nobody even noticed it, you know, or, or something like that. But, but yeah, just, just giving the group a different identity too, you know, from one show to the next, like, can you actually think back and, remember what you know the set looked like well that's pretty easy sometimes some of your favorite shows you can immediately think about what they look like well can you do the same thing with the with the rhythmic vocabulary that they're doing which is what i'm assigned to do you know i know there's melodies and um you know certain things that you know stick with you but you know from my perspective as a battery guy it's, it's really you know how do i make the the rhythms or the rhythmic language uh, memorable in the same sense yeah it's, and it's, i Okay, go ahead, Mike. No, it's funny you point out that, like, it's cool to have that one burst of a moment where rhythmically it kind of gets away from your audience member or even the judge or whoever. Because I know when, when I'm watching a group, it's it's one of those things where they'll hit you with that. They're go, they're kind of go, moving along. You, you, you get it to duple or triple, and you kind of follow the rhythmic pattern of everything. And then all of a sudden, they'll switch the gears and do over-the-bar-line stuff like crazy syncopated stuff and it's like i have no idea what that was and to me that can be very effective and memorable because it's like i instantly assume that has to have been hard by default on a first read even if maybe if you look at it on paper it really isn't but because it was like a hiccup in the pattern of what your brain was getting used to listening to it can be extremely effective but i, but I fully agree like with you when you followed it up with you can't do that all the time like it's got to be used as like a as a hook, as you put it, or just like a weird curveball you throw at the listener. And that in and of itself can be effective and memorable without, I guess, having to overdo it. I'm going to make yeah. like a real, really random comparison. And this is only because I've been watching a lot of this lately is like stand up comedy in drumline. So I love when uh, composers and arrangers develop some rhythmic motif within the battery, because I mean, we're speaking a lot about battery right now, or the front ensemble, whatever, or just the percussion product itself. And you see that, and you're like, oh, what was that? And then it just like goes, and it goes, and it goes. And then it like comes back out of nowhere, and it's just like, oh, there it is again. So I love that same thing in drumline and like comedy, when a comedian has like a punchline, but then like 20 minutes later, it like comes back in full circle, and you're just like, oh, he brought that back, and like just <laughs> randomly threw it in there. So those are two random parallels, but... I've yep. been watching a lot of stand-up comedy lately, so. I think the same way about stand-up. That's I, that's honestly something that I think about and watched, and you know, I don't I don't know if this is kind of just because of what I'm involved with, but I, I like to look maybe beneath a little bit of the surface level, like okay, like where is this going? Why did they decide to start with this? No, this is coming back. I wonder when they do it, and it, you know, obviously the best ones deliver it right when you're not expecting it. Uh, but yeah, right. absolutely, man. So we, uh, you didn't quite touch on the Monarch story because you said it was a little bit separate. Um, take us through that. Yeah, I know you said it was a kind of an interesting deal or whatever. Yeah, so I don't know if you guys know much about like the history of 
Texas indoor or whatever, but you know, there really hadn't been a strong presence or at least a strong consistent presence down here. There's been a bunch of groups and some of them come out, they're really successful successful. And then before you know it, they're either gone or they're just not, you know, as strong anymore. And um, so I had just moved down to Texas and been asked to, to work with one of those groups and, you know, came out, had a really poor experience just in general. And, you know, kind of as I'm teaching, deciding that I'm not going to be involved with, you know, said group again. And, um, so at that time I was in the Houston area, um, Katy, Texas, I was teaching, um, you know, the high school out there and that group had just won um, the state circuit, the A class. So I was approached um, by one of the, the Monarch guys saying, you know, hey, we're looking to start this There's indoor group, Monarch Independent. We've got this five-year plan to get out of A class. Um, you know, you're doing really well in A class. Would you consider, you know, writing our show? You know, at the time, like, man, I don't know. I'm a full-time, you know, percussion director. I can barely, you know, do my group and, and do that well. Uh, but sure, you know, I'll, I'll write a book for this year and, and we'll get you guys started. And had really no intention of continuing on or being involved with it long term. But um, so, of course, first year we end up doing it, uh, immediately bumped out of A class. So it was like, well, <laughs> there goes that five year plan. You know, we we're, we're going to try to take our time. And, uh, you know, the admin team has been great to make sure the group is stable and has quality equipment, which, you know, starting off is one of the hardest things. Um, oh, yeah. But, you know, at the end of that first year, I was pretty much ready. Like, okay, cool. You know, we had a great year. Got you guys started. You know, I'm I'm good. I actually, you know, I believe I told some of those guys like I was I was done. Thanks for the experience. You know, enjoyed it. Um, coming back to Taha, Taha calls me. Hey, man. You know, is there any way you would do one year? We're we're looking to make some upgrades, and you know, we're gonna bring up Brian Armson, who is now gonna be in my wedding. You know lucked out there we're going to bring in you know some richard henshaw who i still work with to this day and you know trying to upgrade the team could you just do one more year and of course i'm thinking like man i just don't have the time or energy to do it but taha love you man let's do this i'll, I'll do one more year so that was our first like starting an open class year did another year absolutely loved working with brian harmson if you don't know that guy he'd probably be somebody great to talk to on here as well but um, I did Brian not know him, actually. Uh, yeah, to, just a great human, you know, has great intentions, um, easy to work with, extremely intelligent. Um, you know, of course, we ended up doing really well in open class. Love that experience. Third year, we bring in uh, Don Click, I believe was our big um, uh, kind of upgrade. And the rest is kind of history. You know, I, I, it's one of the things I look forward to the most every year, you know, just getting that started and, and working on those shows. So uh, lucked into working with that group. A lot of it started from just, you know, a lot of people ask me too, like, dude, how did you get the Monarch gig? Like, how do I apply for something like that? It's like, well, <laughs> I didn't, you know, we built it when it wasn't a thing. You know, we, we started that from absolute scratch. And I'm, I'm a very small part of that success and just being kind of the battery design element to it but you know you you get the gigs you you build you know those are the ones you guarantee if you really want to start something and you have a vision and uh, you know have people around you that can kind of help build you up you know that's that's how i got the monarchy so yeah i would say uh you you mentioned earlier like there's only so many gigs like in the activity especially in the dci world and wgi world but i would say if you're trying to get a gig like that in wgi the 
ease of access is a little bit easier than drum corps. Um, there's a little bit less moving parts. I mean, obviously, like you said, the number one thing is finding equipment and probably finding rehearsal space. Um, but someone trying to do that, just like start your thing. Like there's a little bit of an easier path to like getting a group off the ground than I would say drum corps, <laughs> just because you don't have to travel as much. Generally, they're more centrally located. Still a challenge, super difficult to do. But a lot of those people, like you said, just like, dude, just just start your thing. Just find some way to start it. Like, find a group, find a somebody, a high school to partner up with. So I don't Absolutely. know, to do independent thing. Uh, but yeah, that's pretty sick. So like, how many years did it take? First year you were A, and you say got bumped to open. How many years were you in open before you bumped up to world? Uh, two years. So I think that first year we ended up getting seventh in the open class at, at WGI. Following season, we were, I believe, fourth in open class. Um, we were ready to move move forward. We knew we had the talent, and you know the team was starting to learn how to work together. So we bumped to Worlds our third year, and that year I believe we were seventh in World. Um, our first year out, um, and then we've been a consistent finalist um, ever since. And, you know, trying to continue to move up. I think we're we're really excited about what we have. Talent levels really high again. Um, in some sections, we think we're stronger than we've ever been. And again, the the team has stayed together. Um, I feel like we've all kind of challenged each other, and that's kind of kept the quality consistent and you know slowly progressing. Once you get to this level, it's it's hard to make another jump. But I mean, we're we're trying, man. That's the goal. It is a challenge, man. The the competitive nature of like finalists in WGI has the just gone up and up and up. I mean the top twelve was it fifteen now? They take fifteen now? I right. think. Um the top fifteen, top twelve are just like pretty cutthroat. <laughs> it's, it's it's gotten nuts it, how good those top finalist groups are compared to what they were even six years ago, seven years ago. It's, it's yeah, wild. Right. And even the groups outside of that, you can say the same thing about yeah. DCI too. It's it's you can go sit and watch quarterfinals and enjoy yourself from start to finish. It's mm -hmm. it's insane. I remember Mike and I did that. I don't know if this is 2019 or 2020 when we were sitting in finals lot at Indianapolis. Uh, what, we were watching. 20? Or 2019 or 2018 is what I meant. <laughs> um, yeah, it wouldn't have been wouldn't have been 20. We were sitting out there alone sobbing. <laughs> no drum lines. But I remember we were watching a group, and I won't say who it is, but they were in, like, 17th, and we were sitting there like, dude, this is a 17th place drum line? Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Get out of here, bro. This is crazy. Nuts. Yeah. Yeah, playing um, well is not enough anymore. It's it's kind of, like, assumed that you're going to do that, and then it's what else? So, yeah. It's tough. There's a, there's a lot of factors that you have to just, like, magically align to, to get up there. It's wow, And especially, too, in, like, WGI, it's... Obviously, just like not how talented the kids are, but like pressure on the designers, like yeah. gotta make this right or else we're not gonna be up there. Gotta gotta pull this off. Everything's yep. gotta work. But it, it's but, I'm I'm happy. I'm glad to hear another person say that you you were saying. Correct me if I'm wrong. That you you think you guys are gonna have a solid year this year. Oh yeah, this yeah, it like does not feel like we're restarting at all. And that's awesome. I was Evan and I were just talking about this not that long ago that we both feel like this is going to be a strong WGI year. I think people are going to have a lot of gas in the tank built up from the time off from the weird year last year. And I, I, I'm really looking forward to it. And I'm the person out of the two of us that I prefer drum corps over indoor and I'm excited 
very excited for this indoor season. Yeah, I think it's going to be both, to be honest. I think DCI and NWGI are both going to be really, really strong. So, Yep. So we talked previously, too, about the connection that you guys have established. And I think it serves both groups equally beneficially, talking about that outdoor group with mandarins and the indoor group with monarch having a consistent staff uh, a lot of familiar faces that do both and membership that do both so what has that kind of marriage been like have there been like conversations with like the mandarins admin and like yeah we'd like to bring on our people from like monarch we've all done this together or when you got that gig were they like hey we have these people or go get your own people or what's that what was that situation uh so the monarch team Part of the reason it's doing well is, I think we were talking about this a little earlier, we just, we just like being together. It's fun to go to rehearsal. It's it's fun to go to lunch. You know, it's like, it's a positive environment, not just, you know, from staff to staff, but staff to members, members to members. It's, the vibe is right. Um, and that's, it's not the case everywhere. I think it's, it's more common than it used to be. But um, anyways, when I, when I got the opportunity at, mandarins which was a really unique one because i took the gig going into what ended up being the COVID year um and there were moments then where it's like well you know just started a new gig and now i have all these challenges which would have been hard you know staying somewhere you were familiar with um so we had to build the team and obviously recruit students and you know prepare for a pretty wild summer um so we kind of survived that and know kind of kept the thing going but as far as the the actual question i think is you know how do you establish the team and how does that work but uh, administratively they're very different groups Uh, they don't feel connected at all from a percussion level um the first thing i do is i call the people i trust um taha ahmed who i think you guys have spoken with andy filippiak um you know those guys are the coordinators for me right now as far as battery and front ensemble coordinators um Andy, Brian, uh, who we've talked about previously, designed with me at Monarch. Uh, we have a style and a sound that we're proud of, um, and we, again, enjoy working together. It's not only just the design side of it, but, like, just the process, especially these days, sharing files, like how you name your files and what what you use as far as, like, Sibelius to Finale to Mainstage to Logic to, you know, we've, we've got a process um, that we're very comfortable with. Um, so it was, it was an easy decision to bring those guys on. Cause I think, you know, those are, those are two people, you know, what we're going to sound like before we show up, you know, we're going to, we have an identity, we have a style of teaching, we have a process that, you know, we yields results. So, uh, Taha kind of helped me, uh, bring on a couple of the people that he'd been with, you know, whether it be at Monarch or, uh, he was previously with Blue Knights and we're actually adding a couple more of those people to our team this next year. Um, and, uh, you know, Andy's got all his relationships with, you know, he was at Boston for eight years and um, has some students and people that tied with that monarch. So I think, again, when you're when you're tasked to, to play at that level, the first thing is like, OK, who do I trust to do this? Um, you know, I get applications and people ask all the time and, you know, I'm excited to work with and meet new people. But especially when you're starting off, you know, you got to know you're going to be good before you get there. And those are some of the guys that. Yeah, that's gonna happen. So, yeah, that's a. I mean, like you said, people that you trust and people that you like to be around because it is a a grueling summer. So you got to be able to have friends that be like, 
call you out when you're acting crazy or tell you you have a dumb idea, but also people to be like, all right, I got you. And you know, they're going to get stuff done out on the field and just work their butt off to, to make it right for, for the program, for the show, for the kids and, and all that top to bottom. Yeah, man. And, and I need people that are going to challenge me and, and do the same thing you just said. Like when I'm being an idiot, you know, I need somebody to sit me down and be like, Hey dude, can you chill out? Like we're good. <laughs> okay. All right, all right. Thanks man. You know, it's, I think we all feel that pressure when we're there. And those are, those are guys that, you know, we're all comfortable doing that with each other. You know, it's not just a working relationship. We're able to separate kind of the friendship and the hang, you know, when we're working, but you know, there are moments where I get a little heated and get a little silly or get a little stupid. And they can, they can calm me down and kind of get my priorities back in place as well, which, you know, I'd, I'd like to think I help them do the same the other way, but yeah. Yeah. Full circle too. Like, there's not many gigs out. So sometimes you feel the pressure because uh, obviously there is a competitive aspect to it. We all love drumming and uh, playing and, and just percussion and marching band and drum corps and indoor. But there is also that competitive aspect about it where people are like, are we getting better? Are we getting worse? Like, or where are we at? Like, so you try to like have a, a good pulse on like, am I just like reacting out of like the pressure of the situation or like, am I just like having a bad day or something? So I do not envy that at all. <laughs> yeah, definitely a lot of pressure. Well, so well, since, since we're talking about Taha, I'll go ahead and bring this up real quick, briefly. I actually, cause I marched with him. You mentioned Evan and I've had him on here for an episode before. And so we know him pretty well. And I asked him, I said, Hey, we're, uh, we're actually haven't been on to talk on the podcast today. Do you have anything we should bring up that might, uh, you know, embarrassing you know spark funny stories whatever and he said you should ask him about the time he rage quit the monarch group me because we all gave him a hard time when he thought he lost his car <laughs> so i have to know what the heck's he talking about all right so there's this running joke of course that you know i i always i have a lot of different things happening at the same time so unfortunately there are times when i'm supposed to go out to monarch and it just doesn't happen like UTSA rehearses on the weekends as well, and I run that group, so I can't, you know, I don't, I don't leave that very often or whatever. So this one time, I've got this weekend, and they've kind of, you know, allotted some time for me to work on a, you know, whether it be a specific section of the show or just kind of react, you know, to some of the stuff that I was writing. And uh, I, I come outside to get in my car, and my car is gone. Like, okay, I must have parked somewhere else, or maybe I'm just tripping, you know, maybe it's here. So. I, I circle the entire parking lot and I can't find my car anywhere. So of course I text the group me, Hey guys, I don't know when or if I'm going to make it out. I can't find my car. And if you know the Monarch team at all, I love them to death, but they don't take much seriously outside of the work. You know, it's like, <laughs> we're going to rag on each other pretty hard. And of course that's, that's when the group me blows up immediately with the dude, where's my car gifts and, uh, memes and all sorts of stuff. And I was not happy at the time. Uh, this isn't where I parked my car. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, when you're missing your car, that's not necessarily like, oh, oops. Okay. Whatever. You know, no, yeah, like, that's a big I'm, deal. I'm freaking out a little bit. Understandably. Uh, the car was found. I, I got my car. It was uh, actually um, illegally towed. I don't know if somebody called something on it or whatever. So it had been no. towed out of my own parking lot. I actually got a full month's worth of rent free at the at the uh, apartment complex. <laughs> nice. I was at. Um, but yeah, there, there was something weird. I still don't really understand what happened. But I had to go get my car from the towing lot or whatever. Uh, 
and ended up not making it out. But yeah, I, I after the uh, the stream of memes and gifs or gifs or whatever they're called, I kind of had enough and just left the uh, group chat so I could find my car in peace. That's funny. Uh, oh, dude, yeah, that's I, like salt. That's like salt in a wound. It's like, yo, I mean, I'm not kidding. I can't find it. <laughs> It's not like, I don't know where it is. It's like, it's gone. Yeah, guys, I'm not in the mood to be ragged on right now. I literally can't find my vehicle. <laughs> that's awful. Yeah. I mean, it turned out well for you. You got a free month of rent, so I guess that's a, that's a win. Yeah. Like know? consolidation, yeah. 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 We'll take it. So, <laughs> um, so but yeah, I, man, you mentioned the UTSA thing. So that, that's just funny, too, because like, you're talking about Sometimes I'm just busy, like, wow, this pays, this pays like my healthcare and stuff. So yeah, <laughs> I gotta do this. What, uh, when did you get the UTSA gig? Which for anybody who's not familiar with the acronym, University of Texas at San Antonio, and where you said you're the director of percussion athletics, or is that right? Yeah, the athletic percussion okay. um, program out there. So this is my sixth year there. Can't even believe it now. Uh, been in San Antonio for six years. Go runners, man. We're seven and zero. I don't know if you call it college football fans out there, but we're typically not very good. And I just saw we are now ranked number twenty-four in the AP poll. Ooh, that's nice. That's um, that's you and me both, because I grew up in Lexington and follow Kentucky sports, and we are six and one, which is I feel a very respectable one, where we just lost to Georgia. But yeah, not usually, not typically ranked number 11 or whatever we were in the country so yeah well, it's been a fun year and um you know i, I pretty much do all of the arranging and, and teaching i teach both the front and the battery um very very different gig than all of the other things we've been talking about i actually struggled with that early on you know i was a drum corps guy a competitive high school guy indoor guy and i get out here and you know we're working on rihanna and selena charts and it doesn't really matter if they're great, you know, it just needs to stay together. It needs to be high energy. And, um, but again, it, it's just a, such a different gig, you know, teaching, I teach all of the sections. If we have a grad assistant, they'll help me out. But, you know, just trying to manage the group. We've been up to like, I think 60 members big in the percussion section. So we, we get large, um, a lot of hands to get the move at the same time. So, uh, but yeah, we, we also do in the spring, we, we started the uh, indoor percussion, which is kind of unique, especially in Texas. There's not a lot of universities that are doing that. Um, and that gig, um, unlike most university gigs, we're UTSA students only. We don't open this up to the, the public. Um, you have to enroll into the class. You, they get a credit um, you know, for taking the course. Um, which we actually took the group to Dayton in 2019, um, and everybody's kind of joking with me because kind of parallel to how Monarch did, we ended up getting seventh place, made it PIO finals our first year going out there, um, which again is a super unique experience. We, we try to treat it more as an education, like this is how you do indoor. We take them through you know, how we actually make the budget, how, how we actually get a, you know, a sketch from a uniform company, and how we actually design a floor. Um, you know, in the COVID year, we actually went through and did a design course and brought in a bunch of people, just worked with the students, put them in design teams, you know, front person, a battery person, a color guard person, and, and kind of helped them design their own program. Um, that so, sounds that's awesome. Really cool. I'm not going to lie, because I, I just was thinking about that in comparison to like a music education program where somebody is 
learning how to play their instrument. They're learning how to get their ed degree and teaching a class, blah, blah, blah. Then all of a sudden, you're a high school band director and you have to manage a budget. You have to order uniforms. You have to have a booster program. You have to do this. And it's just like, you don't learn that in school. But that is an awesome gig to be able to get to, to do that for your, those students. Yeah, and it took a while to figure that out. Like, I go from Monarch and we're trying to win world class. And, you know, I come back to my rehearsals like, why don't we play that well? You know, it's like, well, of course, I'm kind of a solo staff member. I have, you know, a couple alumni that will come back every once in a while. Uh, Randy Miles is at the university. She's one of the dance professors, works with the color guard. So she'll help us with movement. But, you know, it's, it's kind of a small but mighty team. And, you know, again, we're trying to spend more time. We put on a show and we're trying to be competitive. And I'd like to think we do fairly well. Um, especially, you know, not having open auditions, only taking UTSA students. We're really proud of that and still being competitive. And, um, but again, trying to grow the San Antonio area, there's, there's really not a strong presence out here for indoor. Um, yet I'd like to think that we're working on changing that as some of my students start graduating and, and moving on and, you know, kind of getting their gigs. But, um, yeah, it's, it's very unique. It's, you know, going to Monarch one weekend is very different than coming back to UTSA. And I, I, really do uh, enjoy kind of the challenge, if you would, of getting that group to perform at a competitive level, but they'll offer a different experience. Yeah, Texas is a, a unique just kind of band world. The high school bands are just, and middle school programs are insane, especially in those bigger cities, Houston, Dallas, San Antonio, Austin. Uh, but they really don't do indoor the only two groups that i knew prior to monarch and one of them's newer i guess it's not even prior to Monarch. the only one i knew prior to monarch was tyler junior college and the only one high school that i really know from texas that does indoor that comes to dayton and was that burleson centennial where i think luke willingham used to be but is no longer um if i know if i remember that correctly so i'm not sure but yeah, yeah. texas scene is texas scene is unique so the ones that do it do it really well like clearbrook um, they're typically like a scholastic open champion, top three every year. Side Fair High School has been really good. Uh, North Shore High School was a world-class uh, finalist in scholastic um, as well. So, you know, when, when they when they go for it, the training is there. You know, they've, they've got the understanding of how to do it. There's just such a different scene out here. The concerts, uh, concert season is a big deal. You know, they, they right. take it very seriously and, most groups that don't do indoor do concert percussion. They, they put on their own um, concerts. A lot of them are just absolutely stellar. Stellar. Um, they do solo contests. You know, I know Reagan High School, they ask me every once in a while to, to judge their solo contests. And just seeing those, those kids perform at that level, they just have different ways to continue to develop. Um, you know, so there's, there's definitely a scene that takes it seriously. And it's funny because you think there's not a lot of Texas groups that do it, but you go to some of these regionals down here, man, they're long days. There's a lot of groups. Um, you know, there's you know 40 groups at the Houston regional every year. Um, same thing, Dallas has its own regional in that area. So it's it's strong. They don't necessarily all compete on the national level, but uh, again, if you see it down here, it's it's pretty competitive. Yeah, I've always wondered what it would look like if, uh, if some of those groups just went full in on like, all right, let's see what we could do. Like, uh, Claudia Taylor Johnson, uh, Marcus Keller, Ronald Reagan. I mean, the list goes on. Woodlands. I mean, there's just so many killer Vandegrift, killer percussion ensembles oh, yeah. uh, down there. Just like, but 
I also saw, I think it's at PASIC in two, or not PASIC, but Midwest in 2018, like Marcus went or somebody went and I watched the progression of some, I was like, this is insane. <laughs> well, the fall season is so intense too. It's almost, you're almost risking burnout to be completely honest. I mean, right. you have the eight hour rule, which is nice. You know, it allows you to have some semblance of a life outside of band, but uh, you know, they, they put a lot of effort and money and energy you know, the, all these families are super involved with the programs, and it's mm-hmm. almost a little too much to, to continue through the spring semester. You know, not that it's not for everybody else, but right. The, oh, definitely. The school band scene is pretty wild out here, man. <laughs> yep. Well, I'd like to actually bring it back to drum corps for a quick minute here, if we want to, before we close this sucker out, because we're coming up on the hour mark here. Uh, I'm just curious, like you mentioned earlier in our discussion that you, obviously you're at Mandarin's now, you took that program over and you moved into it. Your first year there is the weird one-off COVID year, hopefully one-off COVID year. How did you guys approach that? Like once you knew that's what, that's the kind of situation you were undertaking or what was happening in the world when you were taking the program over, how did you guys approach it? Did you have any differences in how you would approach a normal season you know, we've asked a few other people we've talked to about that kind of thing. So I'm just kind of curious. Yeah, I think the, the big thing right away was if we're going to do this and we're going to get on the road um, and they're going to pay a member fee, we're going to try to deliver, you know, at least as close as we can a typical experience, you know, as mm-hmm. far as getting staff out there, getting the education, um, you know, to be on the same level, getting the book to be similar um, to what we would play. There's definitely times where we, we thought about um, making sure that what we were going to do was achievable in the time that we did it. Um, but that was the first thing. I think we were all in agreement, like, hey, if we're going to do this, we're going to spend the time, the money, the energy on this. We're going to leave our families to go teach all, all summer. You know, we're, we're all in. Um, so once we were there, there were some small protocols that were maybe just a little bit different, like masks in the food line and, you know, masks inside the, this, you know, the schools or wherever we were staying, it was, were different rules, but man, when we got outside and we started drumming we arced it up, it, it kind of was refreshingly similar to the experience that you would uh, be used to. I think the timeline was definitely the biggest difference. You know, once we came out of move-ins, it was like, all right, the show has got to be done. You know, we don't have time to put a closer on, you know, and, going into the San Antonio regional, you know, the, we've got props in the show. Those props are built and integrated and in the show before we leave movements. You know, the, the book is not going to change. We hit the road and I don't like a section. Well, we we don't, we don't have time to mess around with that because again, these show days were, you know, practically all we had. We didn't even really have rehearsal days once you hit the road. So it's, you know, warm up or wake up, warm up, run through something, hit the, hit the book, you know, load the bus, head to the show, do the same thing the next night. So, um, I think we were smart about how we planned for that. Um, and again, you know, a non-competitive season, we, we try not to worry about that. I try not to worry about that, honestly. Um, anyways, just, we're kind of tasked to, to put a program together and, and be exciting to watch and, uh, you know, think more about putting on a great performance and scoring a bunch of points. So I don't think we thought much differently about that at all, to be, to be honest. Uh, I just rambled for a while, so I'll stop <laughs> and make sure I'm still on the right track. No, you're good. That's yeah. All good. I think that was probably the right way to go about it. You know, I've, I've had heard other people talk to other people say the same thing. They just wanted to try to make it as normal as possible. You know, obviously you had your protocols you had to do and uh, guidelines to follow with everything for safety reasons. And 
no, that's cool. And obviously yeah. the the students and the members wanted to be there. So like, if they want to be there, we got to make sure we give it up. Yep. <laughs> yep. Well, it's always about that, man. It's this is not about me. This is not about the audience. I think the activity thrives when members come first. Yeah. And that's something that our team preaches and, and talks about. And I, I truly feel that way. You know, that, that activity, I'm sure you guys are similar, have completely changed and altered the path of what I was doing. Who knows what I'd be doing right now yeah. um, if it wasn't for somebody to ask me to come, you know, play rack one season and then just get hooked. So I think we all approach there it. There it is. And, and most Full of our... circle. Absolutely, man. And most of our team is, is the same way. We've got full-time jobs. You know, we're not... We don't have to do it. We want to do it. And that changes the perception of, I think, the entire thing. It's just, we all want to be there. We enjoy making music. We like hanging out together. Hopefully, again, the members like being around that team. And um, it's a member-driven experience for us. Um, I can at least speak for our group. I think it's similar most places. But man, it's, all, it's, it's all about those performers and the members delivering what they expect to get. Yeah, Absolutely. I think what you just said there kind of sums up to me why drum corps and indoor respectively are able to achieve such a high level. You have everybody on the same page in the sense of staff and members want to be there. Nobody is there because they have to get a credit for school. Nobody is there because their parents are making them be there and do it. Like when you're in drum corps or an independent indoor drum line, Everybody across, you might have random days where your head's not on straight for everybody, whatever. But overall, everybody wants to be there. Staff, members, everybody. So I think that element is, I think, part of why the groups are able to push as hard as they are and are able to achieve what they achieve. Because you have that desire from every corner of the ring, basically. Yep, 100%, man. When you want to do something, doesn't matter what it is, you're going to dig in. You know, you're going to want to know more. You're going to want to challenge yourself. You're going to want to push a little harder. Um, I think that's probably the case across the board. So yep. it's also just having that like tunnel vision too. We all have such a specific goal. I mean, yeah, there's probably different things, and the bass drums are working on this skill, and snare drums are working on that skill. But I mean, if you really think of it globally, outside of drum corps, it's like. Man, we're really hyper-focused on one silly little 10-minute program that happens so fast and is over before you even know it. And most of the time, you know, people come to one show and see you one time. Um, so it's, I think that's one of the, the coolest things about the activities. Just we get so into our craft and our program and our production that, you know, it's just, it doesn't happen very often elsewhere. Like even a basketball team, right? You work on skills and you work on you know, you know, specific formations and strategies, and but then you compete, you know, multiple times, and it, it's just such a different, I'm sure it's different, I, I don't know, I grew up playing basketball, so that's where a lot of my analogies go there, but um, I don't know, man, I don't know if there's much like it. No, it's, it's definitely a unique animal, and so I think it's part of the reason that, that, and I think we like it. It's just one of the only outlets where you do have that element of everybody focusing on the same thing at the same time for an extended period of time. And it doesn't happen in, in the world very often. Yeah, one of my favorite yeah. analogies was uh, one of our guys on staff, Kent Limeberry, he calls it deathmatch painting, where it's like my art's better than your art. But it's got that competitive edge to it, you know, or you know, if you really <laughs> look at it, it's like, it, how do you really get competitive with this? I mean, at some levels you can, but... 
I think yeah. it's got enough of that competitive drive where you want to get a, a little higher score than he did last time, but uh, it's also got that that side of the the team the teamwork and you know again that just creative side. Don't find it much elsewhere. You know. No, hundred percent nope. agree, and I honestly. Evan, if you don't have anything else, I can't think of a better way to close this out than what we just talked about. Right on. No, I'm good, man. I went through my little checklist here. So, <laughs> All right. Well, I'll quickly go through a little outro like similar to the intro for those still listening. Uh, subscribe. Let us know what you think in the comments on YouTube if you want to join the conversation at all. Check out social media, Facebook, Instagram, Patreon.com for financial support. Make sure you go hit up Lone Star Percussion. Save yourself $10 on any order, $50 or more with the code AGEDOUT at checkout. Uh, I think that's it, right? Yeah, I got it all yep. again. Cool. Everybody, Ben, this has been amazing. Thanks for hanging out with us. And everybody else, we will see you all in the next one. Peace.